0: and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on what is now our 43rd episode. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, we just want to let you know that if you do enjoy these episodes, please feel free to tell your family, tell your friends about them. And if you like, you can always take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your Instagram stories and tag myself, tag Jack, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. And if you are interested in any of our coaching services, you can always get in contact by going to www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com and you can look at the different services we provide and you can inquire through our website. So yeah, today we are doing a question and answer episode and we're also going to give you a bit of a rundown on our week because this past week has just been crazy to say the least. So I'm going to hand over to Jack and see what he's been up to.
1: Yeah. So this weekend was the ICN Queensland show. And for all of our international listeners, ICN is one of the main natural federations in Australia for bodybuilding. And yeah, Tierra and I both had clients on Saturday and Sunday. And yeah, it was run over the whole weekend, which goes to show how successful they are and how many people entered. And like, we've been to a fair few shows now, and this was probably the biggest crowd we've seen which was oh
0: it was huge the turnout especially on Sunday afternoon I swear the like almost the entire theater was
1: packed Mm, yeah it was awesome to see so yeah on Saturday I had Lockie competing for bodybuilding and he's 20 years old he just turned 20 this year so he entered teens juniors and his respective weight classes as well yeah we nailed conditioning leading into the show and also his peak week too and posing was really great on the day and he came away with some great placings considering all the lineups were stacked so he came away with second in first timers third in teens and also third in his weight class as well which is great
0: yeah those lineups were competitive like honestly the standard just keeps getting higher and higher every single year and every single season so damn considering it's his very first time competing Lockie, bring it, I think he did a fantastic job. Plus we have to remember that Lockie, we have to give him a hell of a lot of credit because he is living at college right now. And at college they are served buffets every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And Lockie is also at an all boys college. So for the last 25 plus weeks, Every single meal time, Lockie has been going into this buffet with his scale and weighing his food and tracking it in my Fitness Pal and being diligent. And his conditioning was epic, man. He was freaking lean. He was really, really lean. So yeah, oh, Lockie, a lot of credit because, you know, you talk about how comp prep competitors, right? Sometimes it's really difficult to be around food with the temptation, right? But Jesus, being surrounded by buffets all day, every day. Man, he's uh quite resilient. That's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially with the all-boys atmosphere as well. It would have been would have been interesting. Oh
0: yeah, it would have been pretty damn tough. But uh, we always told him, you know, it's just like Lockie, wait till you get lean and then everyone's gonna start asking you, like, hey, how do you weigh your food? Or <laughs> where do you get that scale? <laughs>
1: yeah and the amazing thing was that a lot of his college friends came on the day i think he had a crowd of 40 people
0: oh it was amazing when they called his name out on stage all of these leo's boys from the uq college stood up and it was almost like a rugby game where they're all like Woo-hoo! Or, uh, it was crazy but yeah what a support team just so happy for him
1: mm. and how did sunday go for you
0: Yeah, Sunday was great. Oh my gosh, so I had my client Kara competing on Sunday and she just did such a phenomenal job. This was her very first show. You know, she went into it with no expectations and she competed in the swimsuit category. She also did bikini and she also did sports model too. She just had so much fun and she came away with a few placings like in swimsuit suit, she got third, in sports model she got fifth, and different placings in the other divisions. But man, she was just amazing. By far the best her physique has ever looked. That smile never left her face. Like I was just so proud of her and her stage presence and her posing and... Ah, it was great. We had such a fun day, and yeah, Sunday, the whole entire weekend, it was just so awesome. I freaking love going to the shows because it is such an energetic atmosphere, and you just get to catch up with so many people, and... Oh, it was so much fun, and it's just so celebratory. And also, I just want to say thank you to everyone that came up to Jack and I and uh, commented on the podcast and said that they really love it. Like, we can't explain how much we appreciate that. And it was just so much fun to actually meet people in real life because we've spoken to a lot of people, you know, on Instagram and stuff over the past few months, but finally seeing everyone at the show, that was just man, something to remember. So that was super duper fun. It was such an epic weekend. And Jesus, Jack and I didn't even compete, but we were just wrecked. <laughs> oh man, like it just takes, it takes the energy out of you. Like you've got to be hyped up, be running around all day, but man, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was so much fun. So much fun. So yeah, how's the rest of, um, how's the rest of your week gone with your mini pet?
1: So yeah, it's going quite successfully. And It's been about nine days since I began and I've lost over two kilos now, which is pretty aggressive, but that's my intention for this. I don't want it to last more than four weeks. So yeah, I'm losing about five kilos in four weeks. And yeah, I started at around 89.5. I weighed 80, wow, more than two kilos. I weighed 86.5 this morning. Yeah,
0: you had a massive drop this morning.
1: Mm, I think the accumulation of stress over the weekend not bad stress but just stress because it was out of my routine and like changing diets and all that sort of stuff eating slightly different meals um, meant like I just had a massive low weigh-in this morning by like over a kilo so yeah those things happen
0: yeah and how's your body responded in terms of you know your calories like have you had to drop them at all
1: so yeah, I did that initial drop by about 850. I've had to—I did drop them again when I probably didn't need to because I was a little bit impatient. The scale didn't really change much for five days, so I dropped them by another 200 calories. But yeah, I'm still at 450 carb on training days. So yeah, it's—I haven't really noticed any impact in training performance and maybe a little bit of flatness, but not nothing really that noticeable, which I'm, I'm a bit surprised about considering. Like my carbs have been dropped by like 300 now.
0: Well, it really goes to show that, you know, adaptive thermogenesis goes either way because obviously you're really pushing homeostasis when you're trying to gain weight and get closer to that 90 kilograms. That's why your carbs are so high. What were they? they Uh, 750. (laughs) 750. And now you've had to drop them by about 300 grams. So yeah, it really goes to show that the body will kind of fight back either way. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, making amazing progress, my man. Thank you. So
1: are you. (laughs) How's your dieting going?
0: Yeah, so things have been really good. So we are recording this on Wednesday. So as of today, I'm officially 150 days out from my first competition of 2020. So I've been in prep around three and a half weeks now. And yeah, things are pretty smooth sailing, to be honest. Uh, I had my first macro cut, which I gave myself just, I started on Sunday. So going on three or four days ago now, but last week, you know, my weight plateaued for a few days around 66.2 kilograms. And, you know, I was feeling very comfortable at 300 carbs. So I did a 25 gram carb macro cut just to keep things moving because, you know, I am at the start of comp prep. So my weight, you know, should be decreasing quite steadily. I shouldn't be hitting too many plateaus for days on end. But I respond, I've respond. i responded really well to that now with that 25 gram carb cut. So right now my macros are 150 protein, 275 carb, and 40 fat. And my body weight has now, this morning I got a brand new weigh-in of 65.7. So pretty happy with that considering I started out at 68 around three and a half weeks ago. And yeah, I'm really just happy with how I'm tracking along body composition. I'm, I'm happy with the slight changes I'm seeing every day. Exercise performance is still increasing, which I'm really happy about because, you know, I'm still on a pretty decent amount of carbs and I'm just being very strategic with my nutrient timing, so making sure that I get in a lot of carbohydrates at breakfast and also in my pre and post workout meal. That's working really well for me. And yeah, things are things are really good. But Jesus Christ, this last week has just been crazy because, oh my gosh, exciting news. Jack and I are moving into a new house next week. And this past week, we've just been going to house inspections and we found one that we really liked. And we've been getting, you know, been really busy, you know, getting things organized with the lease and moving out and planning and Oh my gosh there's a heck of a lot that goes into it so that's why unfortunately we weren't able to record two podcast episodes last week which we're sincerely sorry about but yeah things have just been really hectic on this end but i love it to be honest like i love being busy i'd so much rather be busy than bored but yeah we're moving into a house next week which should be so freaking exciting
1: yeah i can't wait and it'll be so good to set up our house together and work our business out of there, have clients over, have our dog, everything like that.
0: Ah, life is happening, man.
1: And before we get into the questions, we just wanted to mention that season A next year is literally just around the corner. We found out on the weekend that the Queensland show dates are actually a month earlier than usual. So usually they're in early May, they're in early April now. So especially if you're looking to do the rookie for ICN, it is really not that far away. 25 weeks out will be around mid-October. So if you're interested in doing a prep and looking for someone to help you out, then definitely check out our website, which as Tiara mentioned before, you can search it online or also just look in any of our Instagram bios as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's crazy that they've moved it forward by a whole month. But to be honest, I'm not complaining. I think that's awesome because for a lot of competitors, it's going to give them a greater time gap between season A and season B because usually there's only like three months or something. It's very, very short. And then also, you know, a lot of competitors are university students. So having it in early April, that's also going to be closer to Easter break. And it's not going to be near the end of May when everyone's like trying to start cramming for exams. And I'm freaking thrilled because it also means that my comp prep has been cut down by like a good four to six weeks because initially I was going to have to wait from around the 20th of March all the way up until early May to do the ICN shows after competing at the Arnold's but now it's only like like one or two weeks away so wow there's a lot of benefits to it but yeah like Jack said mid-October, which is only a few weeks away, is when it's about 25 weeks out, which is when you really do want to start comp prep to maximize your results. So yeah, please don't hesitate to uh, get in contact. We do have our website link in the show notes below. All right. So we're going to jump straight into the questions now. So this first one says pros and cons of having a full rest week post-comp at no reverse diet, but maintenance calories.
1: Okay, so this is a good question and I'm sure many people are thinking about what they're going to do post-comp as well. So I think it's very fitting that we discuss this one. So essentially we would not recommend any sort of maintenance cows post-competition because essentially you're maintaining your stage body weight, which is not a good idea. The whole goal is to dip in and dip out of that conditioning in a sense and We need to restore your body fat levels in order to restore some sort of normality to your life in terms of training training performance hunger cues your libido as well your mood appetite all that sort of stuff so maintaining your current cows and therefore your body fat is not going to achieve that in terms of the rest week if you're going to be increasing your body weight and consuming more calories then you'll undoubtedly have more energy to go to the gym I don't, that doesn't mean that you have to do a full on intense week of training and get straight back into your new training block. But if anything, I would do like a deload week or a lighter, even going to the gym three times a week, doing some full body training, Uh, don't have to attack like the squats, deadlifts or any of those sorts of movements, even getting in, starting to enjoy training again and yeah, just recover.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I would certainly be a huge advocate for getting back into the gym that next week. And also, you know, just speaking anecdotally, but I can probably speak on behalf of a lot of other people too. After a competition, you are freaking hyped up and motivation is through an all-time high and you are so damn excited to get back into the gym and start getting strong and making improvements to your physique so that, you know, you can really showcase them the next time that you decide to compete. And I'd imagine that a lot of people who live this lifestyle and do compete, they love the gym. So hopefully after your competition, you're not staying at maintenance, like Jack said, and you do go into a surplus, you know, more energy, more carbohydrates, you feel good and you've got the energy to train and Damn, it feels good to get a pump again and not not be hungry during your sessions again. So, yeah, I would definitely be a huge advocate for not taking a full rest week, definitely getting back in there. But even given given that I don't think that there would be any detriments to taking a rest week, like each to their own. If you really wanted to and you felt like, you know, you've been right at this for the last six plus months and it's just drained the life out of you or something, then that's totally fine. Chill out for a week. It's going to be okay. You're not necessarily going to lose any muscle mass or anything like that. So it's going to be perfectly fine either way. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good answer to that question.
1: Yeah, we'll move on to the next one, which is by Lukey. And he asks, thoughts on tracking exercise calories in regards to not allowing for them or not?
0: Now, this is a really good question, and I thought this was super interesting because a lot of people would probably run into this issue with both MyFitnessPal and also activity trackers because, especially on MyFitnessPal, sometimes if it's attached to an activity tracker, what it will do is it will take the it'll take the total amount of calories you apparently have burnt through exercise on your activity tracker. It'll sync that to MyFitnessPal and then it will add that to your total daily calories. And sometimes that can be very confusing, especially for clients and individuals who are very new to tracking on MyFitnessPal and they get confused because they're like, oh, look, it says because I walked for half an hour, I get to eat an extra 100 or 150 calories like, woohoo, right? I certainly wouldn't advocate for this just because the numbers calculated by activity trackers, there's such a high degree of inaccuracy, you know, they all use different equations and man, it's just really not accurate. So my best recommendation would be to stick to the exact macros that your coach has given you specific to your goal. So for example, if you are in a dieting phase, your coach has already worked out your macros for you so that you're probably in anywhere between a 500 to 1000 calorie deficit below your maintenance calories. And they've already taken into account that your maintenance calories are higher, and then they've created that deficit based on the estimated amount of energy that you're burning throughout the day, just through normal daily function, going for walks, going to the gym, all that jazz, right? Because if you eat back the calories that apparently are being burnt through your activity tracker and on MyFitnessPal, essentially you're just eliminating that calorie deficit. So it's almost like MyFitnessPal is trying to bring you back up to maintenance calories, if that makes sense. So bottom line, just just ignore it and just stick to your macros regardless of how long you walk or, you know, however many calories your Fitbit said that your hit session burnt or something like that. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I completely agree and I just in line with tiara it's just too inaccurate to really make a concise decision in terms of how much more or less to eat but in saying that like if you do regularly let's say you play football or touch on wednesday evenings and obviously the activity tracker will show that you've completed more steps or activity or burn more calories, whatever it is, then it does make sense for your coach or even for yourself, if you're handling your own nutrition, to give yourself more food on those days. Like there's just a variation of carb cycling, which you can see in our most recent um, Instagram or one of our most recent Instagram posts. So yeah, that makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And that actually reminds me, I've got a client who is preparing for a bodybuilding show, but she also does recreational rowing. And some days she knows, you know, she goes for like 20 kilometer rows, which is crazy. So we always pre-plan those days so that she has a higher carbohydrate intake on those days because she's still creating such a huge energy deficit. So we're just giving her a few more carbohydrates to accommodate for that exercise performance too. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that would be relatable to a lot of athletes, but I'd really just say, for we're not your... trying
1: to we're not trying to fill back in the calories that they burned. We're just simply providing them with more energy on the days that they perform more work.
0: Yeah, so that you can maintain the same relative energy deficit each day, which is good. But I think I think that for things like Fitbits, Apple watches, all that jazz, the really only maybe three things you should probably pay attention to on those things are the time so that you know what the time is. and then also how many steps you walk per day. And then some of them do uh, pretty semi-accurately track your resting heart rate and just exercising heart rate. So you can um, collect that data as well. Some of them do track sleep too, but it is questionable how accurate that is. But yeah, I'd really just say the time, steps, and heart rate. Uh, Really kind of just forget about the calories that it's saying that you burned because it's really just a ballpark figure. Sometimes it can be very inaccurate and very random.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think this is a good point to move on to the next question, which is by Shannon, and she asks, post-comp, how to fight the blues and reverse diet. So we've touched on reverse dieting quite a few times, but considering we are, this is our first episode post-comp, I will touch on it quite briefly. So essentially the guidelines we usually recommend, which is also from 3DMJ as well, is around five to 10% of your stage body weight, uh, gaining that back in the first four to six weeks. So if you're incredibly lean, like say a bodybuilding competitor, then you might go for more on the larger end, like 10% of your body weight in the first four weeks. And for those who didn't get quite as lean, then maybe uh, 5% of your body weight in the first six weeks. And that means that means so let's say you weigh 100 kilos on stage just to make it easy. That means either five to 10 kilos in the first four to six weeks. Mm
0: -hmm. And then how to fight the blues. And I think this is something that a lot of comp prep competitors will experience, you know, because you've gone through this incredible, crazy, challenging journey, right? And then you hit this peak, which is show day, and it's so celebratory. And then all of a sudden, it just comes to an end, and it's just a sudden halt. And it can be quite surreal, I think, you know, because it's just all over, and it's it's a very, very strange feeling. So, it it's is... It's sort of
1: like finishing university or school, because, like, you've worked for so long towards something. And, like, even, even 25 weeks, or some people spend even longer years preparing for that first show, and as soon as you finish, it's like a... It is surreal, because... You've worked so hard for something for so long and it's just finished.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's all over. And I guess the question is what's next, you know, because you've been so hyper-focused and goal-driven and working on this very specific plan and you've been in routine. So my best recommendation would be to make another plan, you know, and still fall into a good routine and set new goals that you can strive towards. So that's why having, talking to your coach and having a really good improvement season plan for hey this is what I want to improve upon in my physique these are the goals that I want to achieve and you can set a really solid plan for how you're going to do that heck even if you wanted to to help motivate you further you could say hey I want to aim to compete again in a year and a half or I want to compete again in two years or something like that and set small little goals along the way that you can keep striving towards and that's really just going to help with your mindset and stuff and really still giving it purpose you know otherwise a lot of people do experience feeling a little bit lost after prep because they don't know where to go after that like what do you do it's kind of it's it's strange you're like in this limbo you know because you're not getting lean anymore you're starting to gain a little bit of weight if you don't have training or performance goals you're kind of just doing random exercise so yeah best advice is to have a plan and have something else to work towards and freaking embrace it, man. The improvement season is awesome, all right? Getting your strength back, building more muscle, building more shape, eating food, being energized all the time feels damn freaking good. So get excited for it, just embrace it.
1: Yeah, and I think part of it as well comes from the hormonal aspect. And for girls and guys, Uh, Getting to a low level of body fat will be a detriment to some of your hormones, and I remember the even the first month or two after comp, I wasn't didn't have that same drive towards training. So I, because we always used to walk to the gym in those days, and I just like I remember on the walk, I wasn't particularly that keen to like hit a squat session or something like that. I would have rather like probably slept, and that would that's probably just a symptom of low testosterone and not having that really good drive to take a set to the next level or to really actually i i still enjoy training but like it's nowhere near the same as when you are more hormonal equilibrium
0: yeah definitely and all the more reason to get back on that recovery diet and gain weight a bit sooner right because then you're going to be feeling back to normal again
1: yeah definitely in a controlled manner
0: yeah All right. So we're going to move on to this next question. And I thought this one was really interesting. This was asked by Nathan. It says, how full can muscle glycogen stores be to still lose body fat? So when you read this question, what do you think about?
1: So the way I think about this is essentially the leaner you get, the less full your glycogen stores will be. So let's say you start off on around 800 carbs a day, and which is pretty unrealistic, but Your obviously your glycogen is pretty damn full at that amount of carbohydrates
0: you'd imagine
1: (laughs) and essentially the leaner you get the more you'll have to decrease your carbs per day and subsequently the less your glycogen stores will become less full and yeah so that's that's a pretty simple answer really the other response i was thinking of as well is let's say if you're on a very high carb and very high fat diet which we typically wouldn't really recommend, then you could probably get away with maintaining your glycogen stores and just decreasing your fat because your your fat intake won't really have any impact on your glycogen stores.
0: Yeah, it's really going to come down. It's going to be so individualistic and there's so many factors to take into play. But I just want to touch on that the recommendations to maximally fill glycogen stores is to consume between 8 to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight of carbohydrates per day. And this is often done in the literature for elite level athletes who, you know, are training like twice a day or endurance runners or also people who are preparing for a competition such as like a marathon or something like that so that they have full glycogen stores and usually they run this protocol of very high carbohydrates for like two to three days leading up to their race so that they don't hit the wall and then you know suffer from depleted glycogen and they can't perform anymore during their race so yeah that, those are the recommendations, 8 to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. But unfortunately, during a comp prep, that's pretty damn unrealistic because I'd say pretty confidently that for most people, if you take into account the energy coming from consuming sufficient protein and sufficient fat, if you were consuming that many carbohydrates, you would not be in a deficit. So, given that, the recommendations for bodybuilders are to consume between 3.5 to 7 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight per day. And also, from what we've been taught in our physiology studies, there's two main stores of glycogen in the body. One, the main one is skeletal muscle mass, and the average person can store between 400 to 600 grams of glycogen. But again, it's difficult because those recommendations are based off the average person. And if we're talking about bodybuilders, bodybuilders have a much larger muscle mass store compared to the average individual. So it's it's really tough to put an exact amount on it, but also we have to think about liver glycogen as well. So the liver can actually store between 100 to 120 grams of glycogen too, because The liver provides glycogen and glucose as a fuel source for our entire body, and it's what delivers glucose to our bloodstream, and it helps to maintain blood glucose levels. Skeletal muscle mass and the glycogen stored in muscles is only used as local fuel, so the glycogen and glucose in your muscles is only used for muscular contractions. That glycogen, it doesn't actually contribute to blood glucose levels. So it's very important to keep that in mind. And obviously, liver glycogen contributes to, you know, all of the glucose that is required for our brain per day, which is around like 120 grams. So yeah, it is is a difficult question to answer. But what I would recommend is to try to keep your... Carbohydrate intake as high as possible during your competition prep. Uh, And ways in which you can do that is don't consume too much protein. There's no reason to be consuming like four plus grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. You know, stick to those recommendations of anywhere between like two to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. Keep your fat intake on the lower end, so anywhere between maybe like 0.2 three slash 0.6 to one kilogram of body weight per day. And that way, the remaining calories that you have, you can fill those with carbohydrates. But man, I've said this so many times, but I just love the saying from Brandon Kempter is that you need to get flat to get lean in terms that you need to reduce your caloric intake and you need to follow a lower calorie and a lower carbohydrate diet that comes with that in order to lose body fat. But then, in order to look lean, you need to carb up during that peak week for your show day. So, yeah, those are just a few things to keep in mind. But unfortunately, glycogen levels are not going to be maximally filled during your comp prep. Otherwise, you just, you wouldn't be in a deficit and you wouldn't be lean. So it's just a sacrifice that you have to make. But yeah, just be smart with your nutrient timing, you know, uh, give a good proportion of your daily carbohydrates in your pre and post-workout meals. So at least like maybe 50% of your total daily carbs in that pre and post-workout meal. So that'll really help with resynthesizing glycogen and just exercise performance too. All right. So moving on to another question. This one was asked by Kelly. It says salt. Salt. How much is bad for you? I'm on my fourth prep in 18 months, and after pulling in too lean for the bikini category for one comp, my coach decided to bump up my salt so that I could hold water. She kept me on high salt ever since. I eat six times a day all savory meals, rice, rice, cakes, potatoes, egg whites, protein, and salad, that's it. So salt goes on every meal. I can't help but think this isn't good for my body. What are your thoughts?
1: So basically I don't really see it as being an issue at all your body is very good at regulating your sodium levels and will excrete any excess sodium that you don't need I do see it as an issue for some people who are hypertensive and salt sensitive and about 20 to 25% of people who have hypertension are salt sensitive so salt does correlate to an increase in blood pressure. So if you do have high blood pressure, that's what hypertension is. So it's just being careful about that.
0: Yeah, but I'd say for the average active healthy individual who is regularly exercising and, you know, sweating quite a lot, having salt is not an issue. Add salt to your meals, all right? And it's very important to note that The body is very very good at maintaining electrolyte balance and maintaining homeostasis so when you start to consume a lot of sodium in your diet your body will adjust to that so initially when you consume you know a very very salty meal What's going to happen is that your hypothalamus and your posterior pituitary gland, it's going to recognize that there's more salt in the blood, right? So what it's going to do is release antidiuretic hormone, which is also known as vasopressin. And this hormone kind of speaks for itself because it's an antidiuretic. And when we think about diuretics, diuretics cause your kidneys to excrete more fluid, right? But an antidiuretic hormone, that's going to go down to the kidney and act to help with water reabsorption so that you can maintain that balance between the sodium and the water. Because as we know, salt follows water and water follows salt, so they work together. But at the same time, if you you do have a very high amount of salt in your body, your body is also going to adjust to this eventually by releasing less antidiuretic hormone, and it's also going to release less aldosterone. So aldosterone is a hormone that's released from the adrenal cortex, and that acts on the kidney for sodium reabsorption. So what's gonna happen if you downregulate both of those hormones, you're gonna downregulate the one that's reabsorbing more water, you're gonna downregulate the one that's reabsorbing more salt, then you're going to be excreting more salt and more fluid in your urine. So it's all going to balance out. It's really only acutely that if you have a very, very salty meal, or you're eating a hell of a lot of sodium, that the next day you might jump on the scale and go, whoa, <laughs> that's up a little bit. But honestly, it really is just fluid retention. And then over the next few days, it will balance out. But with saying this, I want to make a good point that salt does not have any caloric value. So you don't gain actual tissue weight from consuming more salt other than maybe a bit of extra fluid that would be stored in your muscles and your cells. But given that if you were consuming this, you know, like you said, for 18 months, right, your body would have been very well adapted by this point to a very high salt diet and therefore you'd still be you'd, you're probably going pee quite a lot during the day and Uh, initially, like acutely when your coach put you on a very high salt diet to try to stop you from looking too lean for your bikini competition, that might've worked very acutely because you were retaining more water. But now that your body's adjusted and because that salt doesn't have any calories, I'd say that you're still in a deficit and it's not necessarily still going to help you look very watery per se, if that makes sense. I really, really hope that makes sense. Jack, do you want to add anything to that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with everything you've said. I think salt can be very useful for the athlete, especially if you have low blood pressure as well, because it will acutely spike blood pressure, especially combined with exercise. The only other thing I'll add is salt can be detrimental for other conditions such as like renal failure or renal issues, so issues with your kidney. And also other specific disorders such as um, specific liver conditions. And for some, for example, when you get ascites, which is quite common if you have liver failure, um, the you have to severely restrict your sodium in order to prevent the accumulation of water.
0: Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what ascites is, it's basically when your the central abdominal cavity fills up with a bunch of fluid and i'm talking about upon liters upon Mm. liters of fluid yeah you literally look pregnant and that's because the liver is heavily regulated as well in producing a lot of these hormones too like the renin and in the whole renin angiotensin angiotensin 2 system anyone who's studied physiology would know about that but yeah so the liver is highly involved in sodium and water balance too. So when you have liver failure, you can retain a hell of a lot more water, but that's gone down a bit of a different stream. I don't think any hopefully none of our listeners have kidney or liver failure we hope you're all well and you are all happy and you don't have to worry about that but yeah don't fear salt okay salt is perfectly fine especially if you're eating you know a well-balanced diet and you're eating a lot of fresh foods so a lot of fresh vegetables a lot of fresh meats different whole grains you know all of that jazz a lot of that food naturally has a very low sodium content so it's actually sometimes important to put salt on your meals okay it's perfectly fine it's a great flavor enhancer plus if you are an active and healthy individual and you're sweating quite a bit too you're losing quite a bit of sodium through your sweat so sometimes athletes need to consume upwards of 4,000 milligrams of salt per day and the recommendations for the general active you know healthy individual is around 2,000 to 2,500 milligrams of sodium per day but Again, it's okay, like don't be scared of salt. It's actually a very, very good thing and it's very important for nutrient transport within the body and also it's insanely important for getting a pump in the gym and on show day. So yeah, salt all the way. All right, so moving on to this next question which was asked by Kirsty Stewart. It says, do you supplement with creatine? If yes, do you use it up to show day? This is a good one because I've had quite a few people ask whether or not they should take creatine on show day.
1: Yeah, so Tiara and I both take five grams a day of creatine and we have for years. And yes, we for all of our athletes that do take creatine, we still keep them on creatine for show day. And the reason behind that is that if you're lean enough whilst taking creatine, I don't see it as making any sort of difference if you suddenly stop taking it. And the other thing to look at is that creatine isn't sort of some acute supplement which you take, such as caffeine, where you consume caffeine and you get more energy. So in the case of creatine, it actually saturates your creatine phosphate stores in your body and... Therefore, you'll have to potentially not take it for one to two weeks in order to desaturate your creatine stores. And I guess, the, I guess the sort of myth about not taking creatine on show day stems from you do hold on to a little bit of water when you consume creatine. But you have to remember that a large proportion of your muscles are water and that's why when you are dehydrated or very low on carbohydrates, you feel, you feel and look very flat as well. So if anything, taking away creatine and desaturating yourself with it could even lead to just looking even more flat and basically just introduces another variable that is more difficult to predict and keep consistent.
0: Yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know? So if you've been taking creatine every single day leading up to your show and you're fine and dandy and looking great, there's no reason to remove it. And heck, yeah, especially because it does help you retain a little bit of muscular fullness and a bit more hydration. And you don't want to mess with that. You want your muscles to look good and full. So yeah, bottom line, keep your creatine in. It's uh, it's not going to cause any harm. Okay, so we're gonna finish on this last question today, which was asked by Kel Stronger. It says, "Are advanced techniques like drop sets, supersets, rest pause, very high volumes, etc., necessary?"
1: So yeah, this is a good question, and I wouldn't say that any of those uh, variables that you mentioned are necessary. They some of them can have their place, but to be honest, I personally I don't use many of them overly frequently. So when we look at the, I guess, the key factors for hypertrophy, they are mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage as well. So all of these factors that you mentioned are more associated with metabolic stress and muscle damage and not really mechanical tension, which is the prime factor for hypertrophy. And so let's let's address drop sets, supersets, and rest pause. The issue I have with these is yes, they're very, very good at getting a pump, but they're very difficult to, or they're notoriously difficult to track progress. So like, let's say you're doing a drop set. How do you measure a drop set in terms of performance over time? Do you have to like, Um, measure the amount of rest you take in between each drop set, measure the amount you drop in between each drop, whatever. Yeah, how
0: many reps you complete with each weight. Yeah, yeah. it would be difficult to quantify.
1: Yeah, it's difficult to quantify, which and over time we wanna be improving. So that's one of the key factors of progressive overload. So sure, at the end of a workout, it can be good to get like a pump, especially in that specific area. Let's say if you struggle to feel the tops of your lats, like the, the teres minor or teres major in a lat pulldown, then it can be useful to doing like a drop set and really feeling that muscle group and getting a pump. Um, but it's not going to, I don't think it personally, I don't think it will translate overly well into actual high, hypertrophy.
0: Yeah, and it just depends on the type of exercise you're doing too. So like, for example, please don't go and do a drop set on barbell squats or deadlifts or something because it's just, it's it's such a compound movement. There's too much risk for injury. So if you're going to do anything like a drop set, I'd say definitely do it on a low stimulus to fatigue ratio exercise. Something at the end of your session, something like leg extension, leg curl, some lateral raises, something like that. But, and supersets, you know, again, supersets can be very time effective. It certainly depends on what your goal is, because if you really are going for maximum strength and hypertrophy and performance goals, I wouldn't necessarily recommend supersets. Or if you are doing a superset, maybe give yourself like a good one minute rest between your supersets. So like if you're doing bicep cable curls plus tricep cable pushdowns. don't go into each one straight away. Maybe give yourself at least one minute rest in between those. And there is even some literature to show that doing things like that, it actually can help the other muscle recover while you're training the agonist and then the antagonist is recovering kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But then also I would say with rest pause. Rest pause is just fine to be honest, it's similar to myo reps and I think that this kind of comes back to last week week when we were talking about keeping constant tension on a muscle or resetting. I think doing rest pause can help you get in more volume overall. So again, I'll just give the example of a leg extension. You know, if you're trying to get uh, 15 reps on a leg extension and you get up to rep 10, you know pause for two to three seconds, and then try to pump out another two reps. Pause for another two to three seconds, but try to pop, like pump out your last three reps kind of thing. So that's going to help you get in more volume overall, which I think could lead to hypertrophy there. But at the same time, it makes training enjoyable too. And these are different factors that you know come under the big umbrella term of progressive overload and mechanical tension. So for example, take another athlete, take a runner, a long distance runner who's trying to prepare for a a half marathon, right? What they could do is they could just go out and just run half marathons every day, right? They just practice that one thing or what they can do is they can implement some other training techniques. So for example, they could practice doing some more sprint work for their final one kilometer of the race, or they could practice doing, you know, some five kilometer time trials so that they-
1: It's a bit different though.
0: It is different, of course, you know, obviously we're comparing runners to bodybuilders, but I'm just trying to give the example of, there's a lot of different methods that you can take when working towards a certain performance goal or a certain sporting goal like specificity is very important, but it doesn't have to just be specific. Like take a rower. A rower doesn't just have to row, you know, there's certain distance. They can practice, again, sprint work. They can practice endurance work. So there's a lot of different little factors that accumulate and build up to the main thing. So Yeah. I, I'm I'm an advocate for keeping some of these things in. Like I think it's okay to do drop sets. I think it's okay to do supersets depending on the client, depending on their goals, depending on their Well, program. Yeah, I do
1: both as well. I do BFR training which incorporates um like even rest pause. Technically I do drop sets because sometimes I have to drop the weight. Mm-hmm. Very low rest times. And yeah. So yeah, hopefully you've gained something from that answer. And that pretty much sums up the episode for this week however as per usual we'll say one thing that we've learned this week and i'll let tiara go first
0: all right so this week i learned that real estate agents are actually pretty damn good at their job and the reason why i'm saying this is because last week when jack and i were applying for homes we found this one on you know realestate.com that we really really liked and we applied to go to an open house inspection the next day but, you know, I was thinking about it all night, and then that next morning, because I was thinking about the location, it looked like it was quite near a main road, and it also had, like, it was almost, it was like, it's on a street corner, right? And it's got this big, tall gate that's fenced, but you can see through the gate, and obviously because Jack and I really want a dog, you know, we're think- I was thinking, like, ah, uh, should we really be on a street corner? You know, there might be a lot of cars driving by, you know, there's that main road over there, it might be too loud. So last minute that morning, I just canceled our inspection And I got a call from the real estate agent saying, hey, you know, I noticed that you canceled your inspection uh, this morning for the house. Like, is there any other time that could suit you? And I explained to her that, you know, I really love the house and everything. And I thought it was beautiful, but I just thought the location might not be appropriate just because it might be a bit loud. And she was like, oh, you know, it's actually a really, really quiet street. You might be surprised, you know, like, I really recommend that you just come check it out, you know, just so that you can really see for yourself. And then if you don't like it, you can like guaranteed to cross it off your list and there won't be any second guessing. Right. So I was like, uh, okay. You know, like we, we've got the time today, like it's our rest day and stuff like that. So anyway, Jack and I ended up going to this house and it was beautiful and it was so quiet even though it is on a street corner it's so quiet and i couldn't hear any cars and not a single car drove by and we just fell in love with it and now we turned out to really liked it and that's the house we applied for and we got it so we're moving into that house next week so i guess that's what i learned this week is that to uh Trust real estate agents and just listen to them and keep your mind open. And they're very, very good at their job. (laughs) All right. So, Jack, what did you learn this week?
1: So, something I learned from the show on the weekend was actually about the classic physique division and how posing actually plays a severely critical role in where you place. So, there were some really amazing physiques up on that stage for classic physique. And I think there was actually a bit of... um, controversy after because Jason who's the ICN Queensland host got someone up and told them to demonstrate all the classic physique poses because there was a bit of a shock in terms of the placings and I'm not this isn't expressing my opinions at all like I think the the placings were pretty well deserved in terms of the posing but it goes to show how if you go up on a classic physique stage and do some bodybuilding poses, then you will get zero points for that. Every single pose has to be classic physique. But I think that reflects really well across all the division in terms of if you don't have your posing on point and if it's not appropriate and all that sort of stuff, then you won't place as well. And it really does. It's one of the pieces of the puzzle in terms of competing. It's not just about how you look in terms of how lean you are and your muscularity, although those are probably more important, but don't never take posing lightly.
0: Yeah, I think it's really good that they are strict with the criteria because, again, there are there's a lot of cross in different people's physiques. And you'll see this at bodybuilding shows. Some people will go up and they'll compete in the bodybuilding division and they'll do the classic physique division. And even though they have the same body, it's about how you present your physique. Like, imagine a girl, right? If a girl was had a figure woman's body but went up there in the figure class and was doing fitness model posing like no matter even if you had the best body you wouldn't win because you're doing the wrong posing so i think that's really good that they are strict with it but Talking about classic physique, oh my gosh, Jack and I are going to the IFBB show this Sunday uh, at Chandler again, so we'll be there again this weekend, and we're watching his previous coach, Alan Mayo, compete for the first time in classic physique, so holy crap, I'm excited. That's going to be an epic show to watch. Sweet. All right, guys. So that's the end of this episode. Thank you again so much for tuning in. If you did enjoy it, please feel free to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.
1: Bye.